much of what has already been written seems to be prelude, and now some of the issues at hand are about to be handled, and handled well by him. And one of the things that he really wants to drive home is the fact that you're a church, Philippi, you're a church that has endured quite a bit. You're a church that has given proportionally, perhaps more than any other church, as we have it recorded in the New Testament. But you're a church that is nonetheless under attack. And that attack could come from just the simple famine and poverty that is around you. It could come from the Judaizers that are making their way through the Ignatian way. And guess what? You're a major stop along that road. So watch out for what's coming that way. Or it may even come from some internal conflict and strife that will draw from within you. But however it's going to come, here's my great charge to you, Philippian church, Paul says. Stand firm in the Lord. And this standing firm is a communal standing firm that Paul has. And we hear it and we say, here, stand firm in the Lord. And you think, all right, I myself need to just be, be ready and, and, and be okay with this. But whether he said this back in, back in Philippians 1.27, where he said it before, or whether he says it here, it is both in the major league context of standing firm, side by side, arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, stronger together than apart. And in everything about the way that he says this is communal. As a matter of fact, let me just go through some of the words here that are unbelievably communal just through this section, as, as we understand the standing firm is about all of us. So uh, he says for them to be of the same mind in the Lord in verse 2. And we'll, we'll deal with their conflict in a moment. But that uh, phrase of same mind, we might remember from Philippians 2, right. where, where Paul then spoke of, and we, we heard it during the welcome too, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and of one mind. Literally the same phrase that, that he had there that he has now brought to bear here. Again, for a community of people to have one mind, pretty remarkable, especially when we see how diversely this church was founded and established back in Acts chapter 16. And I'll look at that too in a moment. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, now, and it says, they have contended at my side. This is also the idea that, that together with me, they have engaged in something rather vigorous. Matter of fact, the word is where we get the word athlete, uh, that they have engaged in, in an athletic endeavor, something really of, of intensity, because for Paul, who, who saw the games of 51, the Isthmus games, who probably would have been very familiar with the Ephesian games, probably for the, the Isthmus games in 51, he was making tents for these athletes. He would have known the rather intense consistency and rigor that would go in to training, striving, agonizing that would go into all of that. And he, he, here he says that Yudia and Suntuki, what have they done? They've done that together alongside with me. They've not just done that, but they've done that in complete unison and complete communion with me. Help them since they have contended like that for the cause of the gospel. And, and then it, 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 along with Clement and then my co-workers, another word that, that is, you know, soon ergon, uh, you know, er, ergometer is a, is a, uh, a way to, to do work when you're rowing. Uh, ergonomics is the study of work and, and to be efficient in your work. He uses that word, soon ergon, that they are together workers. And by the way, the ultimate community that will cement it forever 
and their names are written in the book of life. And we'll, we'll talk about that too. But I just thought it would be interesting to see that there are pile upon pile of communal connections that Paul puts together here, which is why it seems so out of place that there would be any sort of a rift, rift between two people, including these two women. Now, here's, here's um, the, the interesting thing about this church, and I think about all churches, and I think even as I look across this church as well, we are in communion in Christ. We are of one mind in Christ. That's easy to say for a lot of churches, because a lot of churches are pretty much self-selecting based on, let's just call it prejudice. Yeah. How else does it end up that you have an all-white church, an all-black church, an all-socioeconomic this-level church, an all-socioeconomic level that church? So whether it's classism or racism, different ethnicities, it's, it's just, I think, a, a, a cry, a, a shame that we would have such segregation as Martin Luther King Jr. said, the most segregated hour in America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Wow. Now, for, for many of churches that are self-selecting segregated, uh, the way that many churches are today, then it, it shouldn't be an issue really at all that there would be much in the way of rifts that one would have with another. Of course, selfish ambition always causes that. But when, when birds of a feather flock together, what's the glory in that? When birds of a feather flock together, how is that not just having your mind on earthly things? But he says just moments earlier, our mind is not set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. What bonds us together as this colony of heaven is the fact that we are wildly different one from another, and yet we are one in Christ. Amen. And, and you have absolute working, praying, loving unity with people that are around you right now, that there is no chance on earth that you would ever have that type of communion with them. Yeah. No way. If I had um, stayed in my earthly mindset, the church I would have gone to would have looked like my fraternity. Only we would have cleaned up our act a little bit. Uh, and, and yet, but it would have looked the same way. Uh, and, and that is really all the churches that I went to before I was really brought to the place where the scales fell from my eyes. And so for Yudia and Suntuki to be of the same mind, this is actually quite a big deal because it is a church where you've got people from all different walks of life. Keep your finger here, but let's look back in Acts chapter 16. All right, Ed. And I'll begin on verse 13 after they describe Philippi as a Roman colony in Macedonia. And it says, On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We mentioned that this is, a diff this is a departure from Paul's normal strategy because there likely was not a Jewish synagogue. So it, it is not a big Jewish presence there in Philippi. We sat down and began to speak, this is interesting, to the women who had gathered there. Uh, and it may be that the way that this church was founded was chiefly Paul working through opinion-leading women in the area. So they went and they, get, they listened to the women who were gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Theatira named Lydia. 
a dealer in purple cloth. And again, this is a character study that many of you have done on, on different occasions. Uh, but this woman, whether her name was Lydia or she was from Lydia, uh, but, but this woman is, is one that would have, if not been in the upper echelons of society herself, would have had a clientele in the upper echelons of society because the little mollusk from which you get the purple dye is you know, infinitely expensive for her to be able to even deal in that or have any possession of that or to sell to a clientele that could actually afford that would put her in rarefied air, especially in the first century. And, and so you've got a woman that is quite comfortable being able to move about among the more privileged classes. And she was a worshiper of God and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, now this is another occasion, we were met. Now look at the difference in who we meet now. We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting. So this is a possessed slave now. Right? We go from Lydia, rarefied air, now to uh, you know, a slave who's not, not just a slave, but possessed by a demon. And here's what she's shouting again and again. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Sounds good, right? Yeah. Not if you hear it on, on repeat. <laughs> she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And, and this is, by the way, the basis of the movie The Exorcist, so many other things. At that moment, the spirit left her. Uh, and, and so here we see the very first two converts. We see the very first audience of converts, all women in this church of Philippi, uh, even though it is a colony of kind of, you know, strong army retirees and veterans that have formed the backbone of this society. The way that Paul is able to get into that society is through women, through all different walks of life, whether it be a Lydia or whether it be a possessed slave girl now who has been exorcised. And, it, and redeemed through, through this great miraculous work of Paul. But that just shows you that Lydia and that slave girl probably weren't uh, breaking bread together too often. <laughs> but guess what? Now they are. Even as this letter is reaching the ears of the Philippians, they are every day, most likely. Right. They're engaged in prayer together. They, they have contended side by side uh, with, with Paul, with Clement, with the other co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. They have engaged. These are women he's referring to, too. These are women who have engaged in the most rigorous of all difficult work to be able to bring the gospel message to this great city and, and have done it amazingly effectively and have done it as a great model of selfless service, as a great model of being overwhelmed by the grace of God. And yet now, somehow or another, the lead into this, which may be based back earlier with do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but the interests of others. Sometimes that even in a church where all people are trying to do good things, the fact that you're going about good things from different angles could cause some real difficult uh, disunity in, in, in approach on some things. And what's interesting is that when Paul brings them the solution, he doesn't bring them method. 
Right. He doesn't say, okay, here's what we're going to do. Is first you're going to tell your story, then you're going to tell your story, then I'm going to listen, and then they're going to listen, and then you need to say you're sorry and what you're sorry for, then you need to say you're sorry and what you're sorry for, then you need to say that you're, you forgive, then you need to say that you forgive. There's no methodology here. Paul trusts that all of that will work itself out if you get the big stuff right. If you let the cosmic oversweeping truths of Jesus sweep over you again, all of this stuff is going to find its right place. Amen, when they get Jesus back in mind again, and when they have the mind of Jesus again, then all of this will, will really fade into obscurity that we even had a rift along these lines. Sometimes Debbie and I will, will get into bumps and we'll pause for a minute and realize we're actually fighting over two different really good things. But it's just the fact that we didn't communicate well with one another and I stepped on her toes or I was inconsiderate, whatever it might be. But it, it was that she was trying to get to a Bible study and couldn't pick up the kids. And I was trying to get to a Bible study and also couldn't pick up the kids. And now the kids are stuck and we didn't communicate to one another and all that. But, but what is it that we're trying to do? We're actually just trying to bring the gospel of Jesus to, to different people. But yet it's still amazing how you can still kind of get, get into friction modes uh, despite some of these really good things that are going on. Because of the overall health of this church, I would imagine that something like that has gone on with Yudia and Suntuki, and that Paul is now helping them to be able to stand firm no matter what may come their way, Amen. no matter what instabilities may come the way of the church. And, and how is it that he does it? Is to remind them that Jesus, and here's what he just said, hey, we're, we're citizens right here. And, and this citizenship that we have is not a citizenship in Philippi, and it's not a citizenship of Rome. As wonderful and lofty as that idea is, that's not our great citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven, in Christ. Amen. And by the way, with that in mind, get ready. Be on the edge of your seat. Be excited with a joy that flows over into really uh, indomitable exuberation that you left a buoyant and overflowing with your excitement for Jesus. Because he says, the Lord Jesus, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, mm -hmm. is also going to transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. Amen. Get this power that he's saying about Jesus. Jesus, you know, of course, we've got so many beautiful pictures of Jesus in the Gospels, but that also should be complemented by our picture of Jesus now. Jesus now sits enthroned. And Jesus, through the resurrection, has already ratified the resurrection of all things. By the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Romans 8 says that the resurrection of all things will include all of creation. Right. Astounding, right? Did you just even think of the mass of creation? If this, if this piece of paper represents the distance from us to the sun, which is roughly 93 million miles, it takes eight minutes at the speed of sound, eight minutes and 20 seconds at the speed of sound for the light that would, 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 we, we will see someday when the clouds part and we see the sun, right? If that's this, this afternoon, when the clouds part and you see the sun, that happened eight minutes and 20 seconds earlier. Phenomenal, right? That, that's how big it is just in our solar system from our little blue planet to the sun. 
Now, if that is represented by this sheet of paper, the entire breadth of the solar system, right? Whether you, you consider, is it Pluto a planet or not? But the entire breadth of our solar system from end to end would then be not just one sheet of paper, which represents 93 million miles or represents eight minutes of the speed of sound. Speed of sound, by the way, in, in, in one second can go around the earth about six, seven times. So big, big deal, right? So, but but it, it would then be 100 sheets of paper. 100 sheets of paper. Pretty amazing, right? But, again, he's bringing everything under his control. This is Jesus now as he sits enthroned. He is going to bring about the, the resurrection, make all things new, all of the cosmos. Well, if to the next star is, I'm sorry, the, the whole solar system is 100 sheets of paper. Well, then guess how high or how, let's not say how many sheets of paper. How high would this stack of paper be? If we were to get to the very next star, not just our solar system, but to get to the next star, how high would this stack of paper be? It is over a mile. It would be 70 miles high. 70 miles high. To get to the next, to just to go across our galaxy, never mind going across our solar system, to go across our galaxy in which these two stars exist, to go across our galaxy would be a stack of paper 310 miles high. That's what Jesus sits enthroned over right now. That's the vastness, and that's everything that he has already brought under his control, and that's everything that he is going to redeem and make new and bring into a paradise existence as we find back in Genesis 1. All of that is going to be the case under this power of Christ. How, how amazing is that? And by the way, that's just our galaxy. And astronomers now estimate the number of galaxies in the universe at 100 billion. So again, just to go across our galaxy, 310 miles high, each stack of paper being 93 million miles in, in, uh, in distance. Right? 300 just for ours, and then 100 billion of those. And I love what Paul does here. He doesn't say, hey, here's a good practical how-to. He just thinks, you know what? I'm just going to overwhelm you with cosmic truth about Jesus. Right. You let that wash over you and your petty little squabble, I think, will suddenly come into perspective at this point. And you'll be left with nothing to do but just spontaneously celebrate in ways that perhaps will even be embarrassing to you. Amen. But your gentleness will be evident as all. So even though you're just going for it, it'll be a gentle yet intense celebratory mode that you'll be in. So he, he says here, though, uh, and, and I love the way that he, he talks about this. I plead with Yudia and I plead with Suntuki. Um, the, the word plead is the word parakaleo, where we get paraclete, where we get the word for uh, who the Holy Spirit is. It is this idea of the person that comes alongside of you, grabs you by the shoulder, shoulder to shoulder with you, says, you know what? You got this. Like, we got this. This is going to happen. I'm encouraging you. I'm exhorting you. I'm strengthening you. I'm kind of putting a little bit of spine in your walk with Christ. You got this thing. And, and that is Paul's approach. Not, I'm going to plead with Yudia. Uh, and, and, and also, so no, he, he's careful to repeat the phrase. Yeah. I parakaleo Yudia and I parakaleo Suntuki. Some people have speculated, hey, maybe their names mean something. 
they, they are common names based on, uh, on different um, sepulcher and grave markers that we have from the first century. But they're interesting names, just by the way. Uh, Udia is, is two kind of uh, a prefix in, in the main word. Uh, Udia is a combination of EU, which we get things like eulogy or uh, euphemism. It, the EU, we also get uh, Eucharist and we get the um, uh, e evangel, the, the, the gospel uh, is the word, euangelion. It's the word for good. It just means something very pleasing. So her name begins with good or pleasing, and then the, the root of it is from odos or hodos, and hodos is a, a way of progress. So she is good, pleasing progress is her name. Uh, I mean, we name most of our people after happy things, right? We have joy and felicity. Uh, we, we don't have, you know, grumpy, dopey, lumpy as, as names, <laughs> except in the dwarves. Uh, and then uh, Suntuki is, uh, Tuke is this idea of kind of good fortune. Soon is what we've been looking at again and again throughout this passage, together. So it's this idea that God has kind of brought us together in a, in a good and uh, fortunate way for us. Kind of like a serendipity type idea would be a good, good way of thinking of her name. So very wonderful kind of pleasing names. So it's kind of odd that there would be any sort of a riff with people who have kind of some of the nicest names that you could ever imagine you know, brought together here. Uh, but I, I don't think their names have a meaning nonetheless because they're such common names at the time. But, but Paul brings the great truths of, of what we have in Christ and, and the standing firm is the stand firm not only for these two women, but it is a standing firm for the entire church. Because this will be a sign, Paul says, that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Back in verse 28, he says that of chapter 1, where, where we're called to be citizens together in heaven likewise. Now, in, in uh, Philippi, if things got really bad there... And there was an attack on them by barbarian tribes from the north. What would they do in such a case like that? Their best hope would be that the emperor himself, who would be called by them, and I mentioned this last week a little bit, the emperor himself would be called rescuer, savior, and lord. And he would come from Rome to Philippi and to be able to take care of their defenseless situation, defeat the enemies, and establish with, with, with a, a firm foundation Rome itself right there in Philippi one more time. And the people of Philippi as citizens of, of Rome would have been actually you know, quite encouraged by that. And the idea that they were citizens of Rome didn't mean that one day they would go to Rome. It means where they are now, they were citizens of Rome. Paul is, is, is bringing it in this section from, from verse 19 of chapter 3 down to this section here. He is bringing it home for this church. He is helping them to realize you've got a culture around you that would like to squeeze your brain into its mold of thinking earthly ways about who you are, what is your great identity, who is your great savior, who is your great Lord, and what it is that you're to do to be able to have firm, a firm life, standing firm with security in this life. But now I tell you, by the way, that you have a citizenship in heaven. I keep jumping back, by the way, to, to 3, 20, and 21. We have a Savior in Jesus. And that if we ever get into trouble, 
It's not the emperor that you should be looking to swoop in. It is Jesus. And by the way, he is coming for real and for good. And what he brings then is going to be astounding. And by the way, he's not just your savior. But if you're ever tempted to buy in to the nastiness of the cult of the emperor, the worship of the emperor, which, by the way, was brought through the Roman Empire to knit together all disparate peoples under one banner of unity. That was their approach to unity is say Caesar is Lord. But Paul is saying you rail against all of that. Everything that gives everybody in your community security, you are to kick to the curb and to recognize you've got something so much greater. And it's all in Jesus. Amen. There is a new king in town. And his name is not Caesar. There is a new king in town. And you celebrate it raucously. Your new king is Jesus. Amen. And with that in mind, being so countercultural, having all of this, there is no reason, even for these women, who are so hardworking and perhaps have bumped into one another in the way that they've tried to go about this work, there is no reason for anything to keep us from being in perfect alignment with the great cause of Christ. And if there's anything that has, well, then just remember this. What would Jesus do? How would Jesus think? Is, is really the great overriding approach to this. Not seven steps to being able to reconcile with your friends. It's just, if everybody just gets back to the selfless mindset of Jesus Christ, Amen. then there is no selfish ambition or vain conceit that to come into place. What is it that Jesus ever did? That was self-serving, that was selfish ambition or vain conceit. Here he was, exalted at the right hand of God, emptied himself of every entitlement, took on flesh, humbled himself to such a great degree, became a slave among men, ultimately humbled himself and became obedient to death on a cross. Right. That's what we're serving, that cause, that's who we worship, that man that God, and as we keep that together, everything comes into play. Amen. And if you need one last little bit of encouragement, Paul says, and this will be my last bit of encouragement now, is your names are written in the book of life. That's, that's a massive deal. And if these companions and these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel were some of the earlier women in the church, then they may have been some of the smaller contingent of those who were Jewish. And it may be, that, and they were probably the only ones, by the way, in the church that were Jewish. And they're the only ones in the church that would appreciate this phrase. Mm -hmm. Because Gentiles, they don't really have this idea of knowing that their names are written in the book of life. Now they do know that their names are written in the citizenship of Philippi. That's a big deal. But he doesn't say something in that way. His is overtly a Hebraism of, of Book of Life. So it may be that this is one more encouragement to Yudia and Suntuki that, and by the way, you've contended at my side, and let me throw down a little Hebrew reference here to you. You, you two women, your names are written in the Book of Life. Amen. And how amazing would that be? Now, wh why is that kind of a... Uh, uh, whoops. Back. Uh, why is that such a, a big deal? Well, here's what's kind of neat, is that we are in the season of the Jewish calendar that all anyone thinks about if they're Jewish is the book of life. That's all that they think about right now. And, and for us to have this past, I actually just got goosebumps, so it's pretty, pretty well. 
that this passage would come at just this time is rather remarkable. Because as you probably are aware, three great mandatory feast seasons on the Jewish calendar. Right? In the beginning of the year, you've got the, the Passover and the Feast of the First Fruits. And we see Jesus fulfilling that amazingly as not only the Passover lamb and our atoning sacrifice, but as the first fruits that would go in on ahead of us. And then as the second great harvest comes in, which is then the, the, uh, the, bar, the harvest of wheat, earlier harvest is barley, uh, the, the harvest of wheat then comes in at Pentecost, which is, Pentecost is, is the Greek word that means 50 days after the, the, the great feast of, um, of first fruits or the feast of, of uh, uh, Passover, right? So Passover, 50 days, second great mandatory feast is Pentecost. Um, and at, uh, at Pentecost, which is, you know, kind of bringing in the sheaves, uh, is, is the, then the harvest of the kind of the, 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 the next great harvest, which would be the church, really, that we see in Acts chapter 2. And, and amen for that. But I just referenced those. There's a third great feast. But if you're reading about it, let's say in Leviticus 23, you're like, yeah, there's three great feasts, but why weren't the feasts of like trumpets or Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur mandatory? Why just the Feast of Tabernacles? Well, the reason being is it's all one big event. It's all together. And so on the Jewish calendar, for example, this year, Rosh Hashanah, which is the Feast of, of Trumpets, is the new year. And, the, the, you know, kind of the shofar, the great, the great trumpet is blown on the new year. Uh, and this year that would have been the evening of October 3rd to October 4th. So just a few days ago. Uh, and then after that, you would go 10 days, and 10 days later is the big one, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Amen. The scapegoat, the go I mean, all that, that you, you are amazed by in the Old Testament to see the redemptive work of God. But then in between those two is where we are right now. And in between those two, everything having to do with the book of life comes into full view and great focus for all of Judaism. And why, why is that? Because the, the tradition has it that every year at the blowing of the trumpet, the thing that happens is your name is written in the book of life. So back on the third or fourth or on Tuesday, uh, when, when the trumpet was blown, if you're a Jew, your name would be written in the book of life if, you know, you've, you've repented in a sense. And, and if you've repented, your name is in the book of life. Now, here's the beauty of our covenant versus the old covenant. Our names are written in the book of life by the work of Christ. Amen. By the blood of Christ. By the day of atonement in Christ. By the new life, the new year given to us in Christ. But for a Jew who's contemplating this right now, if they're in the book of life, they then have 10 days... From that moment, the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, New Year, the, the kind of ratification of your name in the Book of Life. But then for them, the idea that 10 days later, they can still affect God's decision. And so these are the days of awe or the days of, let's all call it contrition, if it can kind of come into view. They're, they're the days of Teshuvah. Teshuvah is a turning or repentance. It is the great word of the Old Testament. It's the great Hebrew word for repentance. So these 10 days are the days of contemplative repentance. 
And, and it's during this time that you don't just kind of navel gaze, but as you contemplate repentance, you also just go for it if you're a Jew. I mean, this is where you make reparations with all your fellow men. You, during this time of year, you do not let any old wounds fester, but you deal with them thoroughly. And, and bring about unity wherever it is, old family rifts, all of that is taken care of right now. The other thing that happens is, is good deeds. And a lot of that is, would be then alms or charitable uh, gifts that would be given during this time. And this is the great giving period uh, for the Jews. And why? Because there's such insecurity, honestly, of whether I'm in the book of life right. or not. And, and the idea being that if I do well, then God will put me in the book of life. And the new covenant does something amazing with that. The new covenant takes that formula. If I do right, I'll be in the book of life. If, then. And it flips it around. And instead, by the work of Christ and your surrender to Christ, you are affirmed. Every one of you as you sit here that are in Christ, that you are in the book of life, therefore, you will do well. Amen. You will obey. Amen. You will make a difference. You will reconcile with one another. You will do great things in the name of Jesus Christ. It's a radically different approach, but it is one that is founded on firmness and security. The very things that Paul is, is really keeping in mind here is that, yes, stand firm, but you've got a, a, a firm foundation that is unshakable. So unshakable that your names are inscribed in the book of life. And then on the day of atonement, God can kind of change his mind one way or another. But guess what? On your atonement through Jesus Christ, it's been ratified. Amen. It is definitely the case. You can walk day after day, skipping along as you go. Knowing that no matter what, your name is in the book of life. Amen. And, and it's out of a gratitude and a security of who you are in Jesus that you get to just go for it, knowing that you are that assessed by God. You are his son or daughter, as I, I love to be able to say that, that instead of Jesus. You are his son or daughter, whom he loves, with whom he is well pleased. That is the case right now. The... Um, the uh, Shabbat, the Sabbath, in between these two days, which was yesterday, uh, ending yesterday at sundown, is known as the Shabbat Shuvah, or the, the Sabbath of repentance. Yesterday was the great day of really contemplating whether we have really come to godly sorrow, contrition, and repentance before the Lord. We're about to take communion in just a moment now. And it would be, I think, a great time to even begin to think through that even for ourselves. Is there anything that we should reconcile one to another? Yeah. Is there anything, given my status in the book of life, that is unseemly for me to be holding on to, and ridiculous, really, given my status of, as being in Christ, having been washed by the blood of Christ, and having been confirmed in the book of life? And if, uh, if that being the case than to really, really take this communion that we're about to take in a worthy manner. 1 Corinthians 11 says that uh, though we are many, there is one loaf because we are but one body. Amen. The, the fact that we even take communion
from, from the idea of, of unity is quite important. Unity, communion one with another, communion us with the Lord. But also, let me sober you as well. If you have not surrendered through repentance to the plan of Christ for your life, if, if, if you don't now completely trust in Christ's plan as he lays it out, the repentance, the baptism for the forgiveness of sins, the regeneration by the Holy Spirit. If, if that is not the case, then if that's not the case for Yudi and Suntuk, then they have no real basis for unity. Right. But that is the case for them, and they have astounding basis for unity. Amen. But if that's not the case for you right now, then resolve. Resolve that before you're out of here, that you really will grab somebody that God has put in your path to be able to just simply make it secure. It's not that you're going to have to climb a mountain or swim a sea for this. It's just simply to be able to look at the clarity of Jesus' words and surrender on over to the very path that he has. Uh, and before I do that, I just want us to contemplate the, the, the greatness of being in the book of life. Exodus 32 says of Moses, Please forgive their sin. And if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. So Exodus 32 Moses says, please forgive their sin. And this is after, I mean, the golden calf. Blot me out of your book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, whoever sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. When, when we've read that, and we think, oh, Moses, what are you doing? I, what's more important than being in the book of life, right? I mean, probably a lot of you have had devotionals in that section of scripture and thought, come on, Moses, not that. Like, negotiate in some other way. Don't, don't go to the big gun. Well, the fact that you have that same big gun and is yours, and you can't actually trade it off for anything right now either, but, but that's yours, let it be what, what really animates your celebration as we take this communion. When the missionaries come back from being sent out by Jesus and they are just bringing the word of God in such an effective manner that all are repenting and repenting, uh, Jesus hears their good news and he says to them, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Amen. And who are we? We're the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, Hebrews 12, 23. You have come to the God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And then finally, in Revelation 20, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence. There was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. So I would imagine in this scene, we all have our own books of everything that we've ever done written in them, good or bad. They're all in a book, waiting to be read, unless you're in this book, this other book, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And conversely, whose names were written in the book of life well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Come and share in your master's happiness. Yeah. Enter into this great banquet. That's what awaits 
if our names are written in the book of life. No reason for anything else to get in the way of that, some small squabble here or there, whatever it is, and resolve, even now, before we celebrate in this communion. And I pray that you take this communion with celebration in your hearts. But if you cannot take it in a worthy manner, I pray that you would do it with awe, that you would stop and, and even decide that you will take this communion, if not today, someday soon. But that before that, that you will really consider with awe what I just read about God, about the book of life, and that you will, with, with all God's speed, uh, sit before the words of Christ and really see what it is to come into this wonderful security, this wonderful status, the greatest of all things that we could ever imagine celebrating, which we do now as we take this communion.